think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Actually, I have an even better idea. I think it would be really romantic to have, have your... Have some popovers. No, I'm over the popovers. That's not romantic to okay. me. <laughs> It's romantic to you <laughs> is to have your husband rent, surprise you and rent a horse-drawn carriage and take you th- down the carriage road. Well, the surprise <laughs> is gone now. <laughs> I can't do that. So. Oh, were you planning that? I don't know. I have hmm. to do something else now. This is the Dear Bob and Sue podcast, stories from our journey to all the U.S. national parks and other public lands. I'm Matt Smith. And I'm Karen Smith. We're the authors of the Dear Bob and Sue series of books. Today, we're heading all the way to the northeast part of the country, to Acadia National Park in Maine. Called the crown jewel of the North Atlantic coast, Acadia has a diverse array of rocky coastlines, granite mountains, lakes, ponds, meadows, and forests. It also has a diverse array, Karen. <laughs> it, it also has a diverse array of things to do. Scenic drives along historic motor roads, hiking some of the 158 miles of trails, and exploring 45 miles of carriage roads on bikes or on horseback, plus beaches, lighthouses, and the infamous popovers at Jordan Pond House. We'll be talking about all this and much, much, much more coming up next. All right, I am ready for the popovers. I have my butter all warmed up to room temperature, but where, where are they? I don't, I don't see the popovers, Karen. Matter of fact, I don't smell them either. I'm a little concerned. I think you were the one who said there would be popovers, not me. No. My, my popover pan is long gone. You took your pan to Goodwill, didn't you? Well, I did take my pan to Goodwill a long time ago. I think really... In all seriousness, I think that's what happens. People visit Jordan Pond House, they get the popovers, they get all excited, they go to the gift store to get a pan, they have all of these dreams of making popovers every morning, and then about two weeks later, they take their popover pan to Goodwill, the graveyard for popover pans. I know, there are literally dozens of popover pans at Goodwill. 
You know, we should probably explain what a popover is if people don't know. So what what the heck is it, Karen? Well, it's kind of like a muffin, but it's really light and airy. And it's um, so it's made from this egg batter that rises to form a hollow shell when it's baked. So it's light and fluffy and airy. It's kind of tall. It's kind of a tall, skinny muffin. And then, of course... The lightness is then covered with butter and jam, and then it's not so light anymore. It's really a butter (laughs) delivery device, isn't it? (laughs) Like so many good things. Yes. It only has five ingredients, so it's not very complicated, but boy, are they good. What are the five ingredients? Gosh, off the top of my head, I think it's... um, Flour, egg, milk, maybe a little salt and like baking powder or baking soda. I'm not sure. The recipe is online. You just have to Google uh, Jordan Pond House popovers. Do you remember we first had them? Gosh, it was 20 years ago on our first visit to Acadia with our family. We went there for a family reunion for my dad's 70th birthday. Remember that? I remember that trip like it was yesterday. I do too. Yeah, we went to the Jordan Pond house. We sat out on the lawn. We had tea, which mm-hmm. included popovers. Right. I don't remember any tea. Maybe a beer. Uh, yeah, beer, I'm not Beer sh- and popovers. <laughs> beer and popovers. Now, the Jordan Pond House does have other food as well. I don't know if anyone ever orders it because they're pretty famous for their popovers. They, they've got the popovers <laughs> cranking out. Uh, they, do they still do that? We should. This was like a million years ago. Do they still do the popovers? Oh, they sure do. Yes. How, how do you know? Yeah, because I looked it up. And then next to the restaurant or inside the restaurant is also a gift shop and they sell they sell the popover pan and they also sell they sell the popover mix in a dry form and i think with, then, with the five ingredients in it <laughs> I that think you, you just, just said that yeah you have to add the milk or something so i bought the popover pan and the mix and then because we were there at this family reunion for a week i think i made them every single morning for breakfast remember I think we had blueberries with them mm-hmm. because uh, this area of the country is also known for their blueberries. There was right. a lot of wild blueberries, I remember, up up in that part of Maine. Yeah, tons of blueberry items. Anyway, but once we got home, the romance of the popovers kind of... I don't of ever remember <laughs> any romance associated with the popovers. I would have remembered that. <laughs> all right. But all that being said, I did try to make popovers recently. And the recipe online said that you could make them in a regular muffin pan, which I'm here to tell you is a big fat lie. You cannot. They didn't Because pop. they did not pop. They were like little hockey pucks. They were not good. I had to throw them all away. So they're the, Yeah, they were the kind of things. You know, the, what, what do they call that dry tack that they make and say, save for like 50 years? And then when there's wars, they give it to <laughs> the soldiers who are so hungry they would eat anything. That's what your popovers. Can I say that? But wait, you did eat one or two. I, 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 sometimes I eat something and think this is terrible, but I got to eat another one. And I don't know why. It's because you slathered it with butter and jam. That's yeah, why. I think, no, I think I just licked it. <laughs> Just kept putting butter on it and licking it. Anyway. I like that. Yeah, I like that last batch. If we have now talked anyone into making popovers, you can buy the popover pan on Amazon. I just looked there. There is a variety that costs around 20 bucks or so. It just is a skinnier, deeper muffin pan, but very key to making popovers. How much does a popover cost in a restaurant? (laughs) Like five bucks? Just go. 
<laughs> buy a couple. Now you're out $10. You're never going to make these at home. Okay. Don't, don't but, buy the one on Amazon for 20 bucks. Unless, do we make a, a cut on that, Karen? Uh, no, we don't. All but right. here's the thing, Matt. I don't know any restaurants that make popovers besides Jordan Pontas in Acadia. So if you're going to add up the cost of us getting over to Acadia, that's going to be more than five bucks. I'm just saying, like, if you're there. <laughs> yeah. If you're there, just order a couple of popovers. Enjoy the moment and then be done. And then send them to us. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Speaking of getting to Acadia, usually when we go to Acadia, we fly into Portland, Maine. And from there, it's about a three-hour drive. All the times we go. Mm-hmm. We've been a few times. We have been a few times. Yeah. I love, I love that park. It's just about as far away from our home as you can get. I know. That's why we don't talk about the East Coast side of the country as much because we never go. <laughs> because it's so dang far from Seattle. But you can also fly, obviously you can fly into Boston. You most likely have a lot more flight choices if you fly in and out of Boston and probably cheaper flights. And if you do that, it's about what, about a 5-hour drive I think from Boston. Yeah, and there are a lot of small regional airports in Maine if you want to fly into some place closer. All right, let's talk about the geography. Okay, geography, mm-hmm. great. Acadia is located on an island called Mount Desert Island, but it's, well, I was going to say it's not a true island. It is an it's, island. It is an island. <laughs> but you can drive to it, and there is a very short bridge that you drive over, and boom, you're on Mount Desert Island. What did you, did you think it wasn't an <laughs> island because there's a bridge? Did you count the bridge as being connected to the land so it's no longer an island? Well, it's a tiny little bridge. You would almost not even notice that you're on a bridge. I don't know. Ask the people who built it. They probably, <laughs> it didn't feel like a little tiny bridge when they were building it. About half of Mount Desert Island is the national park. It takes up a pretty big footprint on that island. Now, there are some lesser visited areas of the park, and those would be the Skudik Peninsula up to the northeast. You can drive to that area, or you can take a ferry. And the Isle Isle Aho to the southwest. What? Isle Aho? (laughs) You were going to say something. Alaho. How long will it be before you say matey? Alahoy, matey. I stopped. All right. Okay, it's spelled Isle like an island. Got that. Yeah. I S L E. And then it's capital A U, then capital H A U T. It's French Matt. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Alaho. Yeah. No, and I get it. It looks like Isle Hout, but it's Isle Aho. Karen, did you also know that there are 18 other coastal islands? Parts of the park are on these coastal islands. It's all over the place. That's right. I did also want to mention, if you would like to see Isle Aho to the southwest, (laughs) (laughs) you will have to take a ferry. Say it. it, 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 No, I'm not saying it anymore. That's it. We're not talking about that. you want to visit Isle... (laughs) (laughs) All right. No, we're moving on. I'm on the next part of the outline. Okay. Karen, we should also tell people that Acadia National Park is one of the 10 most visited national parks in the United States. They had 4 million people in 2021. I know. A half a million more than the year before. So it's getting pretty popular. 
I know. All of a sudden, like so many of the other national parks, the visitation has just exploded. It's exploded. And you know what else is is worrisome about that, Matt? Is that in 2021, almost all the visitors were domestic because the cruise ship industry has been shut down and international travel restricted. So what's going to happen to the visitation once the cruise ships come back and, and all of the foreign tourists come back? I mean, I don't even want to think about it. That's not a real question, right? No, that's just, that's just uh, like a th- hypothetical throwing it out there mm-hmm. for anyone just to think, think about the answer to yourself if you're listening to this podcast. Plus, the thing about Acadia, too, is there isn't much of an off season. There is a high season, which is when most of the things are open. So we can't even suggest to go in the off season like we do a lot of the parks. The parks open year round, but a lot of things are closed in the winter. Still, I think it'd be really fun to go in the winter when it's snowing, you know, do some snowmobiling, maybe some snowshoeing throughout the park. I think that would be fun, too. But to see everything the park has to offer, you really want to go during the months of May through October. And we should note, too, that the fall colors up there in October are spectacular. Yeah, they really are because there's so many deciduous trees. I mean, we're, we're used to evergreens in the Pacific Northwest, but boy, on Mountain Desert Island, yeah, it's spectacular when the colors change. Absolutely. And that usually occurs around mid-October. You could visit the park in winter, but let me just give you an example of why May through October is the best time to go because, okay, so the Park Loop Road is open April 15th to December 1st. The main visitor center, which is Hull's Cove, is open May 6th through October 21st. The Jordan Pond House Restaurant that we talked about is open May 20th through October 24th. The campgrounds are open May through October, and the carriage ride tours are open May 29th through October 15th. Do you see a pattern there? There's a pattern, yes. (laughs) So if you want to do any of those things... And consequently, the Park Loop Road leads to a lot of trailheads of some of the hikes we're going to talk about. So none of those would be accessible. So yeah, so May through October it is. All right. So we're not discouraging you to go during late fall and winter, but a lot of things might not be open. Yeah. So Karen, I was just wondering, though, is there anything interesting about the history of the park that we should tell people? Hey, thanks for asking, Matt. You know, I was going to ask you if you could do a little build-up to my history channel, but that was actually pretty good. <laughs> no, not you don't want it. You don't want any more, though. Like you say in a deep voice, and now it's time for everyone's favorite segment of our show. That's weird. I'm not, I don't talk like that. <laughs> I can't talk like that. All right. Now, you did get. All right, maybe. Good. Okay, I'm going to have to be fairly brief on the History Channel, unfortunately, and I'm sorry to disappoint people out there. However, the history is uh, very long and complicated, and so is my outline (laughs) for the rest of the park. Long and complicated outline? Yes, to talk about all the things there are to talk about. So I'm just not going to have time. So we'll be be kind of brief. Acadia, and this is obviously park history, not human history. Acadia was first established as Sewer Demon National Monument in July 1916 by President Woodrow Wilson, but then the name was changed to Lafayette National Park in February 1919 when it became the very first national park east of the Mississippi. It was not until January 1929 that it officially was named Acadia National Park. And Matt, guess what we're doing today? (laughs) (laughs) It's time for a pop quiz. It's time for a pop quiz. Are you ready? 
Okay. No. I think you know the answer no, to this. No, that's the whole idea of a pop quiz. <laughs> You're not ready. If I was ready, it would just be a quiz. It would be a scheduled quiz. <laughs> All right. Here we go. Who do they credit as being the father of Acadia National Park? I would say one of the Rockefellers. Andrew Carnegie. Woodrow Wilson. I don't know. I have no clue. You know what, Matt? I had a feeling that you were going to say John D. Rockefeller because that's what I thought too. And I know we have talked about that before, but he was the father of the carriage road system in Acadia. Oh, uh-huh. so, okay. So somebody else was the father of the park. Right. So I'm going to give you partial credit for that because he was a father of something. <laughs> what, what do I do? What if, What would I do with the credit? Do, do I get to, to turn these credits in somewhere? What? You get nothing. Okay. The correct answer is George Dorr. Yeah. D-O-R-R. I did know that uh-huh. because I've watched the Ken Burns series on the national parks, America's Greatest Idea, uh-huh. America's Best Idea. Okay. Yeah. 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 So I knew that but i forgot it yeah george was born in 1852 he came from privilege he was the son of wealthy bostonians he first visited mount desert island on vacation when he was 15 years old and he fell in love with the area then he inherited fortunes from both his parents and he started buying up land there so over four decades he worked tirelessly to acquire tracts of land for protection he built trails and he laid plans as a member of both of the civic groups that founded acadia he donated scores of parcels of his own land and persuaded others to donate land or gift funds. So it was Dorr's vision and his passion that ensured this land would be set aside for preservation and for protection for future generations. That's fascinating. Can you tell us more? That's it for History Channel today and for George Dorr. All right, things to do in the park. All right. One thing you can do is drive. Scenic drives. Mm -hmm. The Park Loop Road is spectacular. I've never used that word on this podcast before. It's spectacular. (laughs) It's a 27-mile road. And Karen, it's the go-to scenic drive around the east side of Mount Desert Island. Well, it is. It connects a lot of the most popular places people want to see in the park. It provides access to things like Sand Beach and Jordan Pond and Cadillac Mountain. So uh, the Park Loop Road begins near the Hulls Cove Visitor Center, and most of the road is one way. It's one way clockwise, but there is a section over by the Jordan Pond House that has two-way traffic. The NPS recommends three hours to drive that road, so it depends on how many stops you make. Yeah, it also depends, obviously, on traffic. I think the traffic can be bumper to bumper if you're going during some of the busier times. Now, the construction of the roadway began 100 years ago, and it was a huge undertaking, which began in 1922 and continued throughout the 1950s. And like a lot of our other national parks, much of the physical labor that was required was provided by the CCC, the Civilian Conservation Corps, beginning in 1933. Yeah, we need another CCC. We need a a conservation corps to fix up our national parks. Maybe we should do an entire podcast episode on the CCC. 
What do you oh, think? Oh, just like an in history? Yeah. <laughs> history? Well, we can talk about all the parks, all of the trails and roads that they built throughout the parks. The list is huge. Did you want to do that right now? No, I think I think we'll continue. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so there's another scenic road on the Scudic Peninsula. It's called the Scudic Scenic Byway. It's 29 miles. It's less busy over there. And this particular drive has great coastal views, small towns, and plenty of quiet starting near the town of Hancock. So if you want to go visit the Scudic Peninsula, you can take a ferry from Mount Desert Island across because the peninsula is actually off the mainland. If you want to drive there, you have to leave Mount Desert Island and drive all the way around. Some of the roads you actually can't drive on, the carriage roads. Now, there's no cars allowed there. That's just pedestrians, bicyclists, horses, horse-drawn carriages. All of those can use the carriage roads. It's 45 miles of rustic roads. And this was a gift from, I've always thought of him as the father of Acadia National Park, John (laughs) D. Rockefeller Jr. and his family. Of course, Rockefeller, he was a skilled horseman. And he wanted to travel through this area on motor-free byways. So this is why he created these carriage roads for horses and horse carriages right in the heart of Mount Desert Island. Yeah, he built those from 1913 to 1940. And what a gift because it's so charming and there are those stone bridges and there's stone guardrails and and you're going through the forest. So it could not be more charming. There are a lot of picturesque stone archways. There Mm -hmm. truly are. We tried to walk this on one or two of our trips. And, you know, walking 45 miles of carriage roads, we didn't get too terribly far. I think what I would like to do next time is rent bikes. Yeah, Uh, we could do that. Yeah, I think that would be really fun. Actually, I have an even better idea. I think it would be really romantic to have, have your... Have some popovers. No, <laughs> I'm over the popovers. That's not romantic to okay. me. <laughs> it's romantic to you. <laughs> Is to have your husband rent, surprise you and rent a horse-drawn carriage and take you th- down the carriage road. Well, the surprise <laughs> is gone now. I can't do that. So... Oh, were you planning that? I don't know. I have hmm. to do something else now. Okay, well, keep that in the back of your mind. All right, those are some of the roads you can drive through the park, the carriage roads, which you can hike or take a horse or a carriage. Mm -hmm. But there are trails that you can hike. There are a lot of different trails throughout Acadia. And we're just going to talk about some of the more popular ones. And what's kind of interesting is Acadia doesn't really have the feel of a wilderness park, but it has four or five of the most adventurous, scary hikes that involve ladders and iron rungs and exposed cliff walks. And I thought we'd start off talking about those. The first one is the Precipice Trail. And it's said to be Acadia's most thrilling and dangerous hike. And not only that, it's also considered one of the most dangerous hikes in all of the national parks. Tragically, several people have fallen to their deaths from this trail. So if you have a fear of heights or you're traveling with kids, you might want to skip this one. This is one of those hikes you do not want to do if it's raining or if it's wet. In fact, all of these hikes that we're talking about with the ladders and the rungs, you don't do if it's wet because it becomes very slippery. The granite is slippery, and I think that causes people to fall. So what are the stats on this hike map? 
It's about 3.2 miles and considered strenuous, climbing more than 1,000 feet in 0.9 miles. That's a lot. Now, the park wants you to hike it in a loop and then return on the North Ridge Trail rather than trying to descend the Precipice Trail, which is even more dangerous going down. Now, there is a narrow window of time that you can hike this trail because uh, late March into the summer, it can close due to the peregrine falcon nesting. So the best time for this hike is a late summer or early fall. Yeah, you can't bother the peregrines when they're nesting. Nope, that's a no-no. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and What do I even say other than, hey? (sighs) Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Now, the younger sister to the Precipice Trail would be the Beehive Loop. They're sisters? Mm, This is is a little less in that it's only 1.4 miles round trip. I think it's less frightening, although, unfortunately, again, on this one, several people have lost their lives when they've fallen. The first part of the trail ascends a 450-foot cliff with exposed edges, and there are steep drop-offs with no railings that require secure footing. Do you have any uh, trails to talk about that people would actually want to do? Well, no, because we have three more ladder. Oh, we got ladder. ladders. Okay, all right. What's the next one? Jordan Cliff Trails. Mm-hmm. It starts now. It starts at the Jordan Pond Boat Launch, and it's five miles round trip. It's got forested paths, granite stairs, and slopes. It has iron rungs, more iron rungs. Mm-hmm. They're big on iron rungs in Acadia National Park. Sheer cliffs and rocky trails. That's, so, yeah, yeah. That, that's that's a tough one. That's another one. You could definitely work off some of the popovers you're going to eat over there by doing that one. Uh, next up on the Scary Hikes is Beach Cliff Ladder Trail. Now, this is over in the western section of the park. It's a little quieter over there. This hike begins at the end of the road at Echo Lake Beach, 1.8-mile loop, 500 feet elevation gain, and again, a series of ladders. And then finally, in our strenuous category, is the Door Mountain Trail. It has four separate trails that lead up to the summit. The most interesting route is known as the Ladder Trail. It's a challenging trail that that cuts across the steep east face of the mountain, uh, and it has some ladders and iron rungs. It's about 2.7 miles, 1,100 feet elevation gain. So, yeah, it's a little less exposed, but it's still intimidating. Yeah. This is the trail that I did 20 years ago, you dropped me off and then went shopping in Bar Harbor for some like lobster potholders or something. And while I was hanging by one arm off the ladders. <laughs> well, you seem to have survived just fine. You made it. <laughs> yeah. And then I ended up, yeah, in, in a spot where I couldn't find my way back. So anyway. People love this trail. We hear from a lot of people who, who recommend Door Mountain Trail. So maybe I'll, I'll have to give it a try. I'm just not a fan of the exposed drop-offs. It just makes me feel very uncomfortable. Some of the reasons people do these trails are because they all have amazing views when you get yourself up to the top. And also, you know, for the adventure, for the adrenaline rush, I guess some people like that. How about some easy trails? You got (laughs) any easy trails for us? We have some easy trails. The Ocean Path is a fun, family-friendly hike that starts at Sand Beach. You can take the Ocean Path to Thunder Hole. The entire distance of the Ocean Path is 
2.2 miles one way or 4.4 miles round trip. But if you want to go to Thunder Hole, it's only 0.7 miles from Sand Beach to Thunder Hole. Why do they call it Thunder Hole? This is a cool thing to see. Okay. It's an underwater sea cave that when the conditions are right, which usually means two hours before high tide, the waves can produce a thundering crash that can be heard up and down the trail, hence the name Thunder Hole. And I guess when this happens, water sprays up to 40 feet in the air. And if you don't want to do the walk from Sand Beach to to Thunder Hole, you can park in a parking lot right across the street. You don't want to get too close to the eggs on that one. Right. And on other sections of the ocean path, even though it's an easy trail, there are some points towards the end of it where the path climbs around a rocky cliff section and there are steep drop-offs into the ocean. And note to keep the kiddos away from the edge on that. Okay, moving on to Jordan Pond Loop. That's a great one. That goes around Jordan Pond. It's about a three and a half mile loop. Again, if you're waiting to be seated at Jordan Pond House Restaurant and they tell you it's going to be an hour or two, maybe take a stroll along Go the for Jordan. a three and a half mile uh, <laughs> hike. And I remember it, that being about how long it takes to get a seat in Jordan. Or, or to find parking. Yeah. <laughs> you could drop. That's true. Yeah. yeah. You, you could, I'll drop you off. You go do the hike. Mm-hmm. And by the time you come back, I'll maybe have a parking spot. All right. Let's talk about our favorite hike, which is the hike up to Cadillac Mountain. But first, we should explain what Cadillac Mountain is. What the heck is it? Cadillac is also a French name, isn't it? Is it? I didn't yeah. know that. Cadillac Mountain was called Green Mountain. Until 1918, when it was renamed Cadillac after French explorer Antoine de la Motte Cadillac. You might say he was the father of Cadillac Mountain. How's that for a History Channel audition? Who are you? Yeah. And, and how do you know that? Uh-huh. I know stuff. How, how did you pull that out of I've your brain? I've read the internet. <laughs> Cadillac Mountains at 1,530 feet. It's the highest point along the North Atlantic seaboard. And it's actually the first place that you can view the sunrise in the United States. Well, at least from October 7th to March 6th. Yeah, watching the sun come up from the top of Cadillac Mountain is a very popular thing to do. We have not done it. We you know, didn't want to get up at the... I was going to say at the crack of dawn, but obviously you have to get up before the crack of dawn to see the crack of dawn from from uh, Cadillac Mountain. So you can drive your car up to the top of Cadillac Mountain to see these amazing views, but we wanted to hike it, and that turned out to be a really great hike. I love that one. So there are three different trails that will take you up to the top of Cadillac Mountain, and they're all very different and different levels of difficulty. We took the South Ridge Trail, which is longer and less steep. It was about seven miles round trip and about 1,350 feet of elevation gain. Yeah, I don't remember that being terribly difficult. No. It, it did seem like a, a long hike up there. It kind of felt like we were in the wilderness, didn't it? Yeah, and, when you're on these trails... You feel like you're in the middle of nowhere. I mean, Mount Desert Island is a populated place, right? People have been there for a long, long time, so there's people everywhere. But yeah, when you're in the park and you're on these trails, you you do feel like you're away from it all. Until we came within view of the summit. (laughs) Until you get to the top (laughs) and you're on the top of the mountain, which is, you know, a a great thing. You've, You've hiked this long trail. You're all by yourself in the wilderness. However, 
when we got there, we saw a trolley and then a woman walked by in high heels walking her dog. And uh, <laughs> it's funny because we didn't know at the time. It was one of our first visits. We didn't know that you could drive up there. We had no we, idea. We were shocked. How did she get up here in high heels? <laughs> and the trolley. And that little dog. Yeah. <laughs> did she have a t-shirt on that said wine tester? She did. Yeah. In sequence. <laughs> Yes. No, that was you. You had the wine tester <laughs> shirt on. I usually don't wear that when I hike. So anyway, we loved that trail. It was absolutely beautiful. Now, if you're not uh, up for hiking it and you plan to drive to the top of Cadillac Mountain from May 25th through October 22nd, you will need a vehicle reservation. The cost is $6. It's sold on recreation.gov, and you need to buy it in, in advance. You can't get it once you get to the park. So if you're going, make sure you check that out. There's another hike that I think is confusing. It's called the Cadillac Summit Loop Trail. And that's once you get to the top, right? So you could drive to the top and then do that loop trail yes, at the top? It's, yes. It's like a half mile. Right. It's a paved loop that goes around the top. The views are incredible in every direction. That trail is very easy. It's paved. Anyone can do it. But, you know, I think Cadillac Mountain is one of the absolute highlights of Acadia. So whether you hike up there or whether you drive up there, that is a definite must-see. It is. You don't want to miss Cadillac Mountain. You don't. So those are the hiking trails that we are going to mentioned today, but look online because there are are a lot more hiking trails, long ones, short ones, hard ones, easy ones. So if you're going, it won't be difficult to figure out what's right for you. Well, you can also, in the summer, there's beaches and and swimming. Mm -hmm. You go to Sand Beach. It's Acadia's only sandy ocean beach. It's at the beginning of the Park Loop Road's coastal section. But just so you know, it's one of the most heavily visited areas. Yeah. When we were there for the family reunion 20 years ago, and our kids were fairly young at that point, we took them to Sand Beach, remember? And we spent the entire afternoon there, and they loved it. Yeah. Really close to other people. Yeah. <laughs> Ate a lot yeah, of sand that day. I didn't say we loved it. I said they loved it. Yeah. Yeah. Digging in the sand. So that's a fun thing to do with kids. Another beach we should mention is Echo Lake Beach. This is beautiful Echo Lake. It's a popular freshwater swimming area, which is on the southern end of Echo Lake. And this is um, accessible off Route 102 in the Southwest Harbor. So this is, again, over on the quieter section of the park. That's another great beach to go to if you're into that. And I think that area is a really good spot to take photos of the trees changing colors. Mm-hmm. I mean, not while they're changing, like after they've changed, then you can take pictures. Of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of deciduous trees over in that area. What about boat tours? Lots of boat tours. Are there? Mm-hmm. We didn't take a boat tour. We why, didn't. Why the heck didn't we not do that? I don't know. I kind of wish we would have. It would have been fun to see the island from the water. So there are a lot of different companies that offer tours of the island and of the coastline of Acadia. They have sightseeing cruises and sunset cruises, and they have fishing charters and all kinds of things like that. Yeah, well, another thing you can do water-related is visit the lighthouses. They have a few different lighthouses. I mean, isn't that just one of the most quintessential Northeast things you could do is visit a lighthouse? Yeah. Yeah. I love lighthouses. I do too. So there are two that are on some of the smaller islands that we mentioned. There is uh, Baker Island Head Light Station and Bear Island Head Light Station. Those are on the two small islands that have the same name. But the one that everyone goes to and the one that you see the picture of over and over again is the Bass Harbor Head Light Station. 
Yeah, it's got to be. Well, I'm sure it's the most photographed spot in the entire national park. It's in Bass Harbor, which is a village on the southwestern corner of the island. It's not in that most popular area of the park where the Park Loop Road is. You will actually have to drive over to the other side of Mount Desert Island, but it's definitely worth the drive. It's, it's not that far. This lighthouse was built of brick back in 1858 on a stone foundation. You can only view this lighthouse from the outside. There is no access to the interior. Yeah, you can walk around outside and see it from different vantage points. To get the photo that you see of the lighthouse up on the cliffs, you have to do a little bit of a hike. On the left side of the building, there's a path that goes into the trees. And you take this path and then you bear right. And it takes you to a stairway that goes down the front face of a cliff. And then you come down onto the rocks of the shore. And this is the spot where you can take the picture. But here's the thing. These are the big ocean rough boulders. They're wet, they're slippery, and you have to kind of hop from boulder to boulder to get in view of the lighthouse. And the further out towards the ocean you go, the better the view. So I, I remember that. And and don't you have to do it at low tide or that helps? I mean, depend, yes. depending on the tide. But yeah, I, I remember it wasn't easy to get that angle. You I remember looking at other people's photos and thinking, well, we can't get that angle from where we're at. And you, if you just go further out into the rocks, right. eventually you can. It's treacherous, though. It's slippery. It is treacherous. Uh, so just a heads up on that. You want to wear, don't wear flip flops. You want to wear some shoes with the tread. Um, you want to have your will signed and dated. Just look at somebody else's photo. We put our photo out there. Yeah. I guess it's also a really popular place to be at sunset. We were there in the morning. The lighting seemed good. We got our photo, but I didn't know that part of it, that it was a little bit treacherous to get out to the point where you can actually see see the lighthouse from that water angle. We should mention that there are a lot of other lighthouses in the area uh, that you could go see. Those are not managed by Acadia, so we're not going to talk about all the other oh, we're lighthouses. Just gonna, we're not going to talk about those. Well, no, because we don't have time. This is okay. about Acadia. All right, so what about public transportation on the island. I do remember seeing a trolley. Is it Ollie's trolley? Ollie's that's, trolley. That's, that's the one we saw at the top of Cadillac Oh, Mountain. that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> so they have two different tours of the park. They have a two and a half hour tour and a four hour tour. So there's more information about that online. I think the, the more popular one may be the Island Explorer Shuttle, which runs from June 23rd through October. And the Island Explorer is free. It picks up riders from various places on the island. The buses stop at specific destinations in the park, like the campgrounds, the carriage road entrances, and a lot of the trailheads. It did say that you can also flag down buses along their route. And if the drivers feel that it's safe to, they will stop and pick you up. So that's kind of a nice service. We did not try it when we were there, but we did see them running. We did not have a flag. <laughs> I, do, I usually don't have a flag with me, but I'm going to start carrying a flag now. <laughs> Thank you, Matt. How about the campgrounds? How about those campgrounds? There are a couple of campgrounds. Two of them, two of the campgrounds are on Mount Desert Island, and then one of them is on the Skudik Peninsula. And uh, there's five lean-to shelters on Isla Ho, matey. <laughs> but, there's no, but there's no backcountry camping or 
out of bounds camping in the park. Yeah, and there is no overnight parking allowed anywhere in Acadia, so no sleeping in your car. I know that's become a very popular thing to do. People, you know, they have beds in the back, and they just pull their car off somewhere, and they sleep in their car. You cannot do that in Acadia. As one ranger told us one time, he goes, you you can stay here and look at the night sky all you want. As soon as you fall asleep, you're a camper, and that's (laughs) you, you can't camp. All of these campsites must be reserved in advance within a 60-day rolling window. So there is no first-come, first-serve on those. Okay, we should tell people where they might find lodging. Now, the main town, if you will, or the biggest town on Mount Desert Island is Bar Harbor. Mm-hmm. And that's about a 10-minute drive from the Hulls Cove Visitor Center. Yeah, it's very close. Yeah, it's right snuggled up to the park. In the town, there's boutique hotels, there's little B&Bs, there's, and, and there's some chain hotels like Hampton Inn and Holiday Inn, and there's shopping and restaurants. So that's, it's, a, it's a well-established, quaint little town. I'd call it a darling town. Darling? I think Bar Harbor is darling. And it changed a lot in 20 years from the first time we went to the last time. There are all kinds of really great restaurants there now with very, um, I don't know what I want to say, not trendy food, just like really interesting new dishes. And uh, there's some shopping there. And it just has this quintessential New England feel. I love Bar Harbor. And that I think that has the biggest choice of lodging on the island. Switching to my favorite topic of food. Yes. <laughs> if you're in the park and you're looking for a place to eat, the Jordan Pond House, I think, is the only full-service restaurant in the park. That's right. Jordan Pond House has lunch and dinner, and as we mentioned, afternoon tea. Also, as we mentioned, if the weather permits, you can sit outside and have your tea and popovers. I guess, Matt, they've been doing that since the late 1800s. Wow. I know. They could build a bigger parking lot. (laughs) Yeah, you would think. So estimates are that about 60% of all park visitors will make a stop at Jordan Pond House Restaurant, and sometimes all at the same time. So as we mentioned, parking can be very challenging, trying to even just get into the parking lot. And it's open daily from about 1130 to 8, mm-hmm. and that's late May through late October. That's so, right. Yeah. I guess they take dining reservations I saw online. So I'm not sure what the story is with that. But if you're planning to go, you might t- take a look at the Jordan Pond House, uh, look at their website. Another place that I love for lunch is the little town of Northeast Harbor. Do you remember that that little quaint seaside town? I remembered it. I had clam chowder. The best way to access it, if you're driving the Park Loop Road, when you get to the very southwest section of the loop, and I believe it's still a one-way at this point, you can leave the park and Northeast Harbor is not very far from that point. You can go and have lunch. It's this picturesque harbor village with all kinds of boats. Um, and then, of course, you turn around, come back, and get back up on the loop of the park. So highly recommend Northeast Harbor. Just a darling little uh, seaside town. So it's also darling? It is also darling. So Bar it's- Harbor's darling and Northeast <laughs> Harbor. Yes. Northeast Harbor is much smaller than Bar Harbor. Way, way smaller. There were only like three or four restaurants that we we saw and maybe one or two lodging places. So it's it does not have the amount of things that Bar Harbor has. Yeah. And yeah. of course, Bar Harbor, as we said, has all sorts of great restaurants. Yeah. One thing that we love about that area is all the good food, because not only do they have 
as you mentioned, clam chowder and and everything with blueberries. They have all the good lobster and the lobster rolls. I like, yeah, clam chowder, lobster, blueberries. I like all of those and anything that's made with it. There's even, (laughs) and this is actually better than it sounds, the Atlantic Brewing Company makes a blueberry beer. And uh, yeah, we we, we visited that brewery. (laughs) Well, when we went for our family reunion, there was a lot of family a lot of the time. So we would escape and go to Atlantic Brewing Company, which has a lot of great beer in addition to the blueberry beer. But we would hang out there. I remember it was a really charming tasting room and and try all the beers. Many, many days we spent in that brewery. Yeah, they they told us eventually that, that we had have to go home we offered, <laughs> back to your family we offered to watch the store overnight for them but they said no and i did see too again that was 20 years ago there are now of course a lot more uh, breweries on the island so that would be another fun thing to do if you have extra time of course that's outside of the park but so much to do there it's a great island. It, it's a fairly good size island, though. I mean, it's, yes. it's uh, yeah, there's, there's some driving to get from place to place. But yeah, beautiful scenery, darling little town. Yeah, I think that you could spend anywhere from one day in the park to easily a week if you wanted to do some of the boat tours and you wanted to see some of the more remote sections of the park. Do you want to go see all the lighthouses? So when you're planning your trip, take all of these activities into account. Uh, It's one of those parks where one day you could see a lot and you could certainly fill up a week with really cool things to do also. That's right. Thanks for tuning into this episode and a shout out to all of our new friends listening in Denmark and the Netherlands. We'll be posting a photo on Instagram of Bass Harbor Head Lighthouse, the one we risked our lives to get. So if you're not already following us, you can see this at Matt and Karen Smith. Yeah, and we'll also post it on Facebook at Dear Bob and S. On next week's episode, we'll be sharing everything we know about Rocky Mountain National Park. We have gotten so many requests for that one. There must be a lot of people heading to Colorado this summer. That's all for today. Karen, while you were doing History Channel, I got on Amazon and ordered a popover pan. They said since they send trucks to our house three times a day, it'll be on the next truck. It should be here by the time we get done recording. (laughs) That's great. I can't wait to try your popovers. Maybe we can have some just in time for afternoon tea. Oh, yeah. Our afternoon tea that we always do. (laughs) Yep, we could do that. (laughs) 